0: Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing good, all right, awesome. My name is Kevin, I'm the pastor of Spiritual Formation. Pastor Dave, I think he's doing a marriage retreat somewhere in Michigan, I think it's up north somewhere, at least for us it's up north in our you know, realm of Michigan. Um, so he's having a great time there, we're hoping. And um, this morning, I get to be with you all to continue our series called Speaking from the Shadows. And I do just want to remind you, in case you weren't paying attention to our announcements, we have updated our Church Center app. It's, uh, we made some cool additions that we believe will be helpful to you, um, not just to make it an app that could be an addition to what you're doing, but something that could be meaningful to you every single day, even here on Sunday mornings. And so one cool feature that I want to just encourage you to check out. This morning is download it, log in, and check out our sermon notes because for every Sunday morning, the sermon notes are right there. So if there's someone next to you who likes to sleep during the sermon, you know when to wake them up at the very end. Hopefully, no one does that today because I'm here. But when Pastor Day's back, sleep all you want. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. You could, probably it's better to sleep for me, and not him, because he'll get on you. Um, but we are in week two of our series called "Speaking from the Shadows." And if the name sounds familiar, it's because it is also the name of our pastor's brand new book that he launched a couple weeks ago. And um, it's basically his journey through depression and how it's possible to have hope through those times and also how we can come alongside those who are going through that and how we can support them, encourage them, and bring some light into those dark moments. And so if you would like to pick up a copy of that book throughout this entire month, we have copies back at the church, back at the most of the church center counter. That's not right. That's the app, the Connect Center in the lobby there. And we have a discount on those books, a little discount. So it's better than buying it anywhere else. So if you're interested in that, stop by the Connect Center, uh, check a cop, check one out, read the back cover, and um, feel free free to pick it up i think it's going to be a great addition to your library and i wasn't forced to say that i actually was able to read it myself and i give it a thumbs up it's a it's a good uh, meaningful work on just the the whole issue and i think it brings a lot of great insight into how we can support those individuals walking through it and if you're there yourself to know you're not alone and so check those out now this morning we're going to be approaching the topic from a different perspective because i can't speak on this topic from experience You know, I've walked through seasons or moments of despair, for sure, but depression in the true and full sense of the word, I haven't dealt with. With that being said, though, two things are true if I'm being honest with myself. And the first one is that just because I haven't dealt with depression doesn't mean that I never will. And secondly, just because I can't fully understand it doesn't mean that I don't have a responsibility to those in my life who may be struggling. A convenient excuse that we like to use in life is the excuse of our experience or our lack thereof. When someone asks us to help them, you know, we get a sense of relief when we have an excuse because the area they need help in is out of our expertise. You know, for example, when you're driving in the car and you see someone else on the side of the road whose car is broken down and you go, phew. I can even change a tire i can't help them i'm just gonna keep driving by or when a close friend says hey i could use some help renovating my house and you go well i can't even change a light bulb so i really can't help you out sorry you know sometimes our excuses are valid you know sometimes helping can hurt in some situations like for myself you know i'm not a mechanic i'm not very i don't have much knowledge about fixing cars um so if you want my, my help with that I'd be willing, but I'm not gonna be much help. You know, it's gonna probably slow the process down as you give me the instructions on what to do, or maybe we can find like a cool YouTube video to follow along with, which if we do that, I'm gonna make you sign a a liability waiver because when all four wheels of your car fall off, you're not blaming me, okay? I did my best. But these excuses that we have, they're not just for those commonplace situations or scenarios, they also come up in more significant ones as well. When someone that we know is dealing with illness or someone loses someone close to them, we excuse ourselves from those situations because we say, well, I haven't actually been there. I haven't actually been through it, so how can I help when I don't have that understanding? So we simply avoid. Has anyone ever done that to somebody? My hands raised. Has anyone ever had that happen to you? You can turn to the person next to you and say, I'm sorry or or, I forgive you, depending on the situation. Just kidding. Uh, But to get back on topic, for those of us who haven't experienced true depression, it can be genuinely hard to understand why our friend or loved one, why they just won't suck it up and go do something enjoyable. Why they sleep in all the time and they can't wake up and just enjoy the day. Why we we can't understand why they may be so negative or hopeless in conversation. And so there can be a a temptation for us who can't relate to create space. Make the excuse that I don't understand, so I can't help. Or worse, we try to do the healthy thing. Notice the quotation marks. And we create boundaries because we say, well, if I spend too much time with them, i'm gonna be dragged down i'm gonna become depressed myself i'm gonna be hopeless i'm gonna become negative and so we avoid we cut contact and we don't truly step into the situation and help someone when they really need it and once again none of us here do this right this is these are other people those are just extreme examples you know take the take the blame off yourself but before we dive into our message i want you to see that we all have a responsibility to the other to love our neighbor to the loved ones in our life even those who aren't close to us If the Lord puts them on our heart or our paths cross, we must see them. I was recently talking to an individual in our church who was just going through their day, and they had an encounter with an individual who they normally wouldn't. And a conversation was struck up just kind of in passing, and there was something kind of special in that moment, and so this individual said, hey, I'm gonna just go out of my way to try to cross paths every now and then, have some conversation, build a relationship. And over a course of time, um it became more than just simply conversations and passing it became a a relationship where this individual was actually able to to give of himself he was asked if he could come and help fix something and the fix if you couldn't do it on your own was a little bit more expensive and then also um it was very time consuming but this individual said you know what This is a great opportunity for me to show love to this individual and and give of myself. And they gave a good significant amount of time just helping this person fix this thing. And when he walked away from that situation and we were having coffee and discussing this, he looked at me and said, Kevin, if I don't, who will? And in that moment, he was able to pour love into this individual's life. And that, that individual eventually through this relationship decided to follow Christ because someone said, I can't not do something. And I believe that mentality is one that we all should have as followers of Christ. I've never dealt with real depression to my knowledge, but if there are people in my life who are struggling, if I don't, who will? And it's not that I have to have all the answers or even a fix because that's what counselors, therapists, and doctors are trained for but it might simply be offering a listening ear, doing little things to bring a glimpse of light and hope into their day, being willing to drive them to an appointment or even go and sit in an appointment with them if that's what they need, seeing them for who they truly are, not who they seem to be because of the darkness that they're walking through in those moments. And if you're here and you can relate with those who are walking through depression, you've been there yourself or it's impacted your life in some way, This message is also for you because you can be a presence in someone's life in a way that is very unique and meaningful. You can be a presence that someone could genuinely benefit from. And so if you haven't figured it out by now, or you missed me say it two other times already, the premise of this message is that we all have a responsibility to bring light into the darkness of others. And we know this to be true most of us here are probably like yeah i would love to be that kind of person i would love to be someone that doesn't just say i want to help but actually does something to help but how do we become someone that says if i don't who will as pastor dave and i were talking about this message the word empathy kind of rose to the top because i believe that empathy is the key to this whole dynamic we're talking about this morning because empathy it isn't an action it's a motive of response that comes from our heart. And it's from that response of the heart that it then informs our actions. And so the truth this morning is that we won't act if we don't feel, and that's empathy. And we won't feel if we don't address our hearts. Now here's something important to know, specific to this topic, is that helping someone with depression, it doesn't require much of us actually doing, but rather us being, being there for someone, helping to reassure them that they're not alone, that they're not the only one in the world who feels the way that they do, that it's not a them problem, it's this cloud of depression that is impacting their vision, pointing them to someone who can truly help if needed. So how do we begin to soften our hearts? How do we cultivate a sensitivity in our lives to those around us so we care for them, we empathize with them, And the truth is, it's not something that we can do. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a parable of Jesus and learn from the one who can truly change us, who can truly give us empathy. And I believe that this parable will give us a different perspective on how we can view those around us. So we're going to turn to Luke 10, verses 30 to 37 this morning. And in this parable, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, one you're familiar with. But before we read it, I just want to give you a quick context, okay? Jesus is hanging out with some experts of the law. They know the law front and back. And they come to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, how can we inherit this eternal life that you speak of? And Jesus replies to the question, as he likes to do. Um, I don't like when people do that to me, but he did that to others. And they were good questions. And he says, well, what does the law say? You're the expert. You tell me. You know. And they say, well, Jesus, it says, you know, to love God and to love... Our neighbor. And Jesus replies, Well, exactly, just do that. And so the expert of the law, he asks Jesus one more question and he says, Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, Every good. A uh, teacher back then with Dewey, he answered the question with this parable, with a story. And so let's read it together this morning. And if it's, some, if it's a passage you're familiar with, I may even encourage you just to kind of close your eyes and even picture in your mind just what this scenario might look like if you were there in person, but you don't have to if you don't want to. But just a little thought. Let's read it. Verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road, And by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked them. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. I want to point out a few things real quick, because we have this man And we don't know much about him except that he's jewish we know he's beaten up we know he's robbed you know he's he's in the process of dying and but there are no implications about what he does whether he's good or bad rich or poor he's simply this human a wounded dying human left alone and i believe that jesus keeps this man's description at a basic level because he's setting up the idea that this man is a neighbor Our neighbors are humans, they're the people like us, and this this individual is at the center of this religious expert's question of who is my neighbor. Now after the man is left for dead, we we see Jesus introduce two more characters. He introduces the priest, and I think our text up there said like a religious assistant, or a temple assistant, you can also, they're also known as Levites, and um, so what were the roles of the priests? And the Levites well the priests they were the one that conducted the services in the temple they were in charge of the temple and other words back in those days they were kind of like the pastors of these places of worship for the Jewish people and the priesthood in Jerusalem it constituted a kind of Jewish nobility and it represented the upper class of Jewish society now what's interesting though is they didn't become priests because they were necessarily righteous humble or noble they were priests because of their ancestry and because of this, they kind of epitomized this worldview of tribal consciousness. They were concerned with their relative status, and it almost created this us-versus-them mentality between those in the temple and those who just your average Jewish Joe. I don't know if Joe is a Jewish name or not, but it is now. Uh, to state it plainly, though, they had roles because they were born into the right family. And so while they were in a position of piety, They maintain this self-righteous persona. The Levites, now on the other hand, they were also part of the clergy, but on a lower level, they assisted the priests and they served as temple gatekeepers. They were musicians, janitors. They hauled things around. They were the interns of 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 the temple, you could say. But here's the interesting thing that we see is that both of these individuals, these representatives of the temple, of of God, they didn't do a very good job of representing him in that moment. They simply passed by. Now, something else that's interesting is that with all three of these characters, they're described as traveling down from Jerusalem. Now, not only was this road to Jerusalem and back, was it dangerous, but it was often one that a Jewish person would take on their way to the temple. So this isn't stated explicitly in the text, but it's possible that all three of these individuals, the priest, the Levite, the man that was left for dead, that maybe they were all coming from the same place. They might have been all coming from the temple. And if that assumption is true, both the priests and the Levites They would have lived off the offerings of this dying man, but yet they passed him by. And it wasn't a matter of them knowing whether he's Jewish or not because he was naked and left for dead. And Jewish people, they were circumcised. And if you don't know what that means, you can ask the person next to you. But it was very clear. This man was one of them, but they didn't care. Now, some might say that they choose to pass on by because touching a dead body would make them unclean, and when you're serving in the temple, there was this high set of expectations that you had to uphold in order to be clean to to do the temple work, but this doesn't seem to be on Jesus' mind because, number one, they were leaving the temple, so their job for the day was done, and number two, scholars say that even priests had an obligation to bury a neglected corpse. And so this man, there was a responsibility to to care for him in some way. So what Jesus seems to be getting at is kind of the lesson we learned from Sunday school or kids' church back in the day. These seemingly holy men disregarded a broken man, and in doing so, they neglected the very God that they were supposed to serve. And so if you were a Jewish individual listening to this story, you would probably guess that the next person to come along would be just your average Jewish person, your average Jewish guy who's gonna come along, do the right thing, show up the priest, show up the Levite. But Jesus does something even more shocking. He contrasts the priest and the Levite with a Samaritan. And if you were a Jewish person hearing this, your jaw would have dropped. Because Samaritans, they were viewed as social outcasts, religious outcasts they were so disliked by the jews that these samaritans they were seen as unclean as disgusting vile people they were avoided at all costs and this disdain wasn't just one sided the samaritans they also viewed the jewish individuals as the same way they had the same bitter vitriol toward the jews there was this great tension and so when jesus says that a jewish or that a samaritan is going to come along You better believe the jewish listeners they began to tense up disgust sprung up in the pits of their stomach their minds filled with bias yet the actions of this man quickly broke down every negative response and thought that filled their minds this man who they detested honored god better than the individuals who claimed to represent him in fact this man that they disgusted Crossed the line and said, I'm going to love you despite my bias. Despite our disagreements. And the Samaritan doesn't ask if this guy is a Samaritan or not. Once again, he sees it very clearly. But he dresses his wounds. He puts the man on his mount. He probably got bloody in the process. We don't actually think about that, but if he's picking up this dying, beaten man, he's probably getting a little bit bloody in the process, and he leads him on foot to an inn. He takes the form of a servant, and it costs him his time, his effort, his money. It's risky because guess what? That road is still dangerous. Those robbers could still be around the corner, and if this man dies in his care, if this man's family isn't very compassionate, if they don't recognize what this guy did, They could decide to develop a blood vengeance for this individual who's just simply trying to help. But the Samaritan, he's bound by the same law to love his neighbor. And so to wrap up this parable, Jesus looks at the Jewish listeners and he says, which of these three proved to be the neighbor to this dying man? And the Jewish listeners, they had no choice but to admit it was a Samaritan who any other day They wouldn't give a second thought to. But Jesus, He doesn't end it there. He looks at them one more time and He says, "Go and do." Why is that meaningful? Because once again, Jesus is saying, "Go and be like that person who you despise," because they fulfilled God's will in this moment. They truly loved Him better than anyone else, and for this man. And so, while there's a lot you can take out of this passage. The main thing that i want you guys to see is that jesus is trying to illustrate that it doesn't matter how much scripture you read it doesn't matter how much you can recite doesn't matter how pious you appear outwardly if it doesn't influence how you live your life jesus said go and do don't just say you love your neighbor go and actually love your neighbors and this message extends to so many things and while luke probably isn't writing with depression in mind The premise still stands. If there are people in our life that we encounter, maybe people that we don't even know, who are dealing with depression, who feel beaten, who feel naked, who feel like they're left for dead mentally and emotionally, we must stop and do something. We cannot just walk on by. If I could point out one major flaw of the Pharisees, it'd be their pride. They were so concerned with themselves, that they couldn't take the focus off themselves for just one moment and to see this person in front of them. But that's not just a Pharisee issue. It's an issue prevalent in the lives of many Christians. I don't include myself in that. You know, when we read about the Pharisees, it's easy for us to sit back and say, how could they be the way that they are? It's so obvious. Why would, why would they say the things they do? Why do they act the way that they do when we point fingers? but when I read the passages of the Pharisees, I'm convicted to turn the finger back on myself and say, would I actually do any better? The Pharisees, they were the Christians back, I mean, in the Jewish faith, they were the the, the devout followers of their faith, but they didn't live it out. And so if we truly want to live like Jesus, we need to be like him, we need to live like him, Because Jesus' focus, it was rarely on himself. It was on those that were around him. You know, he came to earth as a servant. He loved and cared for people deeply, even those who were often overlooked. And in their culture of honor and shame, he still chose to eat and to be with the most dishonorable in the eyes of the so-called holy. He wasn't dismayed by their criticism. In fact, it probably encouraged him more that he's doing the right thing. And the same is true for the apostles. They dedicated their lives to doing what Jesus did no matter the cost. And so following Jesus is less about what we get out of it and more about what we get to be a part of. And I would say that a major mark of spiritual maturity is when our faith becomes less focused on ourselves and more focused on those around us. And so when it comes to depression, what can we do? How can we bring hope, especially when we can't relate? Well, I have three quick ideas. And the first is that we need to cultivate a heart of empathy so we know when someone is struggling. Empathy says that I don't have to see someone's pain to know that they are in pain. You see, depression, it affects our bodies, it affects our minds, it affects our spirit. So depending how deep it goes... It can be hard to detect. As people, were very good at putting on a mask and pretending like everything's okay. Now, if it's, a phys- if it's at the physical level, though, that's pretty easy to see, usually. You know, we, we, we notice that their continence is very down. They don't, let, they don't sleep. They don't, don't often eat. They don't do what they normally enjoy. If it's at the mental level, we notice that the things they say are filled with Hopelessness and negativity is maybe more in their words or just the way that they view their world. It can go to a spiritual level where they feel alone, shameful, worthless. They don't recognize the value inside of them that, that God loves them. They're created in God's image. And so we need empathy to be aware of these things because it's easy to think that someone is simply rude or just a negative person when in reality there might be something very deep going on inside of them and we can walk right by and not even catch it. And so we need empathy to be aware of these things. Jean-Marc Comer writes, the way of Jesus is exactly that, a way of life. It's not less than a faith made up of theology and ethics, but it's certainly more. It's a whole new way to be human, a set of values, dispositions, relational dynamics, and habits. And by these are habits in particular, that the ideas of Jesus become a reality not only in our minds, but in our very bodies. Empathy comes from us being with Jesus so that we know his heart. And that comes from developing habits that allow us to spend time with God, whether it's scripture, prayer, the disciplines. They lead us to become like Jesus. They help us to see the world as he does. It motivates us to put into practice what we learn here on Sunday mornings and throughout our week. It encourages us to look for ways to show kindness. We want to help others out. And the more we try, the more empathy becomes instinctive because our hearts are aligned with Christ. We have to develop that inside of us. Number two, we need to understand the depression, or to understand what depression is and what it isn't. In Jesus' parable, the first thing the Samaritan did was apply oil, which softens a wound, And then he poured wine, which disinfects the wound. And then he was able to bandage him up and take him to rest to get healing. You see, the Samaritan knew just what to do in that moment. He had an understanding of how to heal this wound. And let me be brutally honest this morning that there is a big stigma around the word depression in church culture. And if we don't understand what depression is, we can cause a lot of more pain and even worse things if we speak out of ignorance. And so in the same way, if we approach depression with tough love, rather than a sensitive heart, we can cause more harm than good. So let me be very clear. Depression, it's not a choice. Depression isn't a sin or a result of sin. Depression is a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, how you act. And those aren't my words. That's the definition from the American Psychiatric Association. They're the ones that know this. They study this. So how do we help? Once we have that understanding, well, of course, we can, we can pray. We can pray for healing. God can intervene in that way for sure. We can believe for the supernatural. But I believe that if you're dealing with the physical illness, Of any other kind that affects your quality of life yes you're going to pray and yes you're going to believe that god can heal but you're also going to get help you're going to go to a doctor and we need to treat depression the same way once again we need we need prayer we need family and friends to support us but we also need counselors therapists and doctors who are trained to help they're qualified to help and we can trust them because their knowledge, it's not their own, it comes from God. Their skill set has been given to them by God. God is using them in those moments. And if you doubt that, go talk to my wife, who's a doctor. God has used her in many powerful ways to bring healing. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. And so we need to know what heals. Prayer might be the oil that softens the hurt but the wine that disinfects, it might come from the help of a professional. In other instances, the wine, it might just be a friend simply reminding someone that they matter. It's not a one size fits all cure. So we need empathy, we need understanding so we can truly bring hope. And if you don't know much about the topic, it might not be bad just to do a little research. Listen to a friend who's going through a heart, through, through who's dealing with it for themselves, because that will give you empathy when you listen to their experiences. Because understanding the topic more, it builds your empathy more. Number three, be present and stand in the gap. Pastor Dave shared the story of the angel in the gap. You see, in Sydney, Australia, there's a rocky cliff at the entrance of Sydney Harbour called The Gap. And The Gap is one of Australia's most notorious suicide spots. Back in 2010, local officials said that one person passed away a week at this cliff. But in the midst of this dark and hopeless place was a presence of light that lasted for over 50 years, and probably till this day. And that ray of light is what became known as the angel in The Gap. Now that angel, it wasn't a literal angel, it was a man named Don Ritchie. A man who even into his elderly years vowed to stand in the gap of those who were dealing with depression. Each morning he would climb out of bed and head over to the bedroom window and he would scan the cliff. And if he spotted anyone standing too close to the edge, too close to the precipice, he would hurry to their side. Ritchie once rushed to help a man on crutches. But by the time he got here, got there, all that was left were the crutches. In his younger years, he would occasionally climb the three-foot fence to hold people back while his wife, Moya, was on the phone calling the police. He would help rescue crews, bring up bodies. He would invite them to have tea at his house. One time, it nearly cost him his life. There's actually a photo of Richie struggling with a woman inches from the edge, And the woman is seen trying to launch herself over the side with Richie, the only thing standing between her and the abyss. Had she been successful, he would have gone over with her too. But thankfully, he stood in the gap. As he got older, he began to keep a safer distance, but he remained available to lend an ear. He says he never tried to counsel, advise, or pry. He'd simply give them a warm smile. Ask if they'd like to talk, invite them back to his house for a cup of tea, and sometimes they would join him. After he passed away, Richie was officially credited with saving an estimated 180 lives. His family say it's closer to 500. But when asked if living where they did was a burden, Don's wife looked at him and she said, I think, isn't it wonderful that we live here, that we can help people? And Don's response was just to look back and nod his head in agreement. What I love about that story is that the main thing that Don and his wife did was simply be present, to keep their eyes open and stand in the gap on behalf of others. And the way that most of us in this room can help with depression isn't to, once again, have a fix or a solution or an answer, but to be present to be a presence of peace, hope, and love, stand in the gap, invite people for tea, give them a smile, being quick to listen and slow to speak, to be willing to see past someone outwardly, how they appear outwardly because of what is going on inwardly, and to see them for who they truly are, a person of value created in God's image. It's reminding them that they're not alone, they're not the only ones going through it, there's a path to healing, So if you're here and you're working through depression, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're loved, there's hope, there's people in this room who see you, who want to know you, who love you. The staff of K First loves you. Those around you, I believe, love you. And for those of us here who want to stand in the gap for others, Begin to develop a heart of empathy. When you feel the spirit nudging you to come alongside someone, act upon it. Even if you're not sure, take a chance to just simply say hi. How are you doing? Put aside fear, put aside your pride because a simple act can make a greater impact than we realize. Begin to understand on a greater level so that you can expand your empathy, so you can truly bring hope. And lastly, Be present. Stand in the gap. And as Jesus told the listeners of his parable, I tell you the same. Go and do. Can we pray together? God, we thank you. We thank you for the example that you give us in scripture, not just of the Samaritan, but of you and your life, Jesus. We pray that you would give us your perspective, give us your heart, Give us your vision, give us your empathy, that we would be aware of those around us, that we would see through the personas that they have and see really deeper than that and see who they are as a person. They're loved by you, they're created by you, they're made in your image just as we are ourselves. We have this common bond as simply being human. Help us to love, help us to see our neighbor. Help us to be bold. Help us to step out in faith help us to go and do and god even if we take a chance and we just simply say hi or simply love on someone and they're okay that's great we got made a new friend so god i pray that you would help us to stand in the gap but also just make friends of taking chances of of loving those around us well for those in this room who maybe are dealing with some deep darkness i pray that you would bring people around them to show them that they're loved, to show them that they're cared for, that you would do something in their heart that would encourage them to take a step to find healing. But most of all, at least in this place, that they would feel your love and your presence in a deep, intangible way, that it would break through the darkness, that it'd penetrate their heart, that they would know that they are loved, that they are your child, they're made in your image, Father. And so this morning, we give it all to you We give you our pride, we give you our fears. And we say, Lord, I am going to do as you did. I'm gonna commit to being like you, Jesus. And everyone said, amen.